Before I share this week's conversation with you, I am taking a brief pause on airing new episodes until Monday, August 14th. Now, in the past, when I've taken a pause, I've posted a brief announcement and then let the show sit dark for a few weeks. However, I got to thinking this year that rather than doing that, since 75% of our download traffic every month comes from episodes that have aired more than a month ago, uh, I got to thinking that it'd be helpful, perhaps, to re-air a few episodes that I think would be helpful to you while the show is dark on new episodes. And I posed that question to our members recently and said, would this be helpful? And a whole bunch of people responded and said, yes, but if you do, make sure you have a theme. And so here's the theme. The episodes that I keep coming back to. These three episodes over the next three weeks that I'm re-airing are episodes that continually come up in conversation, continually get asked about by our Academy members, are ones I find myself continually passing along uh, over the years, have been timeless in so many ways. And the very first one is the conversation you're about to hear, which is a re-airing of episode 192, How to Create Team Guidelines. Susan Gerke is my guest on this conversation. Susan and I have known each other for 20 years. She's probably the most talented professional I know on helping leaders lead teams effectively. She has been a facilitator for decades on this. And in this conversation, she walks us through step-by-step how to create team guidelines, whether it's a new team, whether it's a team that's reforming, or maybe it's an existing team. This is such a critical competency for leaders, whether you do it yourself or you bring someone in to support you. And you'll hear in this conversation about some of the resources Susan and her partner, David Hutchins, have created for leaders. So many of our members and listeners have used them over the years. So here is a re-airing of Coaching for Leaders, episode 192. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. This is a weekly show to help leaders improve their communication, strategy, coaching, productivity, and personal mastery. And today we're going to focus on a topic that is relevant for almost all of us, if not today, (laughs) coming up soon for you, which is how to create operating guidelines for your team so you get the best possible results and increase the chances that you'll have a team that really works together in order to maximize performance for the organization. And I am thrilled to have back on the show Susan Gerke. Susan is a good friend of ours, and we have done lots of work with her over the years. And she is one of the most gifted facilitators and trainers that I know um, and have just had such wonderful things we've heard from people we've worked with over the years who've worked with Susan. And so we're so glad to get to work with her. And Susan is setting a brand new world record here today, Susan. (laughs) Uh, We will apply for Guinness later, uh, the Guinness Book World Records. uh, But the fourth appearance on Coaching for Leaders. Who knew? Who knew? (laughs) And so I think we should have a party afterwards. (laughs) I'm always up for that, Dave. (laughs) I I love that about you. And so um, the last episodes that Susan was on was episodes 138 and 139, where we talked about the four unique types of teams and also how to maximize team performance. Susan's just so gifted on teamwork and helping 
teams work well together and helping leaders to figure out the best ways to maximize team performance. So if you didn't already hear those episodes in the past, if you're a recent listener, I would definitely go check those out. I'll link to those in today's show notes as well, too. Um, Susan, you know, before we get to talking about how to create team operating guidelines, I think one of the places maybe we should start here is just thinking about like, like what is a best team? And I know you talk to people about this all the time when you're working with teams is thinking through like, what, what really is a best team or an ideal team? And you hear a lot from people. And I'm wondering when, when you ask people about their best team experience, what are the kinds of things people are saying and that you hear? Uh, it's, it's actually an exercise I do regularly, Dave, is to ask people to think about the best team experience they've ever had. And, and I really recommend they think about not just at work or in their current job, but I really like them to think about anywhere in your life. You know, some of us have been on great sports teams, or we've done something wonderful in the community on a team, or certainly in any of our jobs, we might have had the opportunity to work in a great team. And so when I ask people to think about that, then uh, I solicit from them. So what, what makes that team stand out? What what are the unique characteristics that made you pick that team and not some other team that you've been on? And, mm-hmm. and it's interesting. It's pretty consistent, the kinds of things I hear. Um, certainly, you'll hear something about uh, that we had a common goal that we all you know, were really behind. Uh, but there's always lots around. We communicated frequently. We supported one another. We jumped in if anybody needed it. Um, cl- we were clear on our roles and yet quite willing to step out of our role to help each other be successful. Trust and respect are common words that come up in that conversation. Um, celebration, that people say, gee, we celebrated when we did well. Um, and always somebody says, in my best team, we had fun. Mm. And I've, I've gotten to where I always ask, how many of you had fun in your best team? You know, Dave, over 90% of the people always raise their hands. And so then we talk a little bit about how, yeah, you probably worked really hard and everybody nods vigorously, and yet you found a way to make sure it was really fun as well. And, you know, when you think about all these characteristics that I'm sharing, this is the interpersonal stuff mostly that makes the difference, right? Best teams... I don't even know what these teams are about. I don't know what they created or what they produced or what their work was. But the commonality is all these interpersonal things, the how we did the work together over the work itself. And isn't it interesting that sometimes, in fact, I would say often from my experience, and it sounds like yours too, that the most productive teams are the ones that people had the most fun with. And yeah, like you said, they maybe worked really hard in crazy hours, but uh, it, it almost reminds me, I think it was maybe Zig Ziglar who said in a, in a talk years ago of, you know, the, the day you're most exhausted and most tired is at the end of the day when you've been trying to convince people you've been doing work all day, <laughs> um, which, which I, I, can, I can totally relate to at different points in my career is the time when you're really like working hard and feel connected to people and engaged, like even if you're putting in tons of hours, like you just feel so alive yeah. and so purposeful about your action. And, and what's sad though is for a lot of us, you and me included, because we talked about this before we started recording, is that's kind of often the minority of time in our career in working with teams, isn't it? Yeah. I I find the 
the percentage of our team experiences that are best team experiences isn't that high. Um, and, f- and for a number of reasons, really. Um, one of them is some of us don't get a lot of opportunities to work in teams. Um, but more than that, sometimes before we get to that place of that real high performance, the goal changes or or we actually complete the work. Maybe we're just together for a short period and we don't need to be together anymore. Um, or the other thing that happens a lot in organizations is we change the membership. Somebody gets promoted or uh, a new leader comes in or we add things to the work. And so we have to add new people. And every time we do that, as well, and we talked about this in one of the previous episodes, right? We, we kind did. of start over again, right? Yeah. And so now we have to start the path to that best team over again. So sometimes we just don't get a chance to get there. Um, I know in my career, and I've had a pretty long career, I really can count three teams that I would really say meet the criteria of a best team. That's not mm-hmm. very many. It, it isn't. And I, I was thinking back to what, how many I've had. And there's one that sticks out for me really clearly, not that others haven't been good experiences, but it was even before I started my career, it was when I was in college of all places. We had a big team orientation team and I we had 30 or 40 students on a team and that was an amazing team. Um, but And I was thinking back as we were planning for this conversation today around guidelines, that was also a team that had a lot of structure. Mm-hmm. People were very explicit. Um, leaders on that team were very explicit on here are the expectations, here are the rules. And a lot of that was done up front to the point I remember thinking at the time where it was like, wow, this is overkill and these people are way overstructured for me and why do we have to be this legalistic about things? But that really served that team well to perform when it needed to um, and serve tens of thousands of people, which is what we did, and to do it in a really effective way. And so now looking back, I'm like, wow, that was really interesting that someone had the foresight to really have thought through how that really yeah. works from a team dynamic standpoint. Yeah. Well, and particularly when you think about your experience, that's a very large team. And so mm-hmm. you've got to have some kind of structures. But even small teams, um, there's high value in them having a conversation about how do we want to work together? What? How are we going to hold each other accountable to the behaviors that we think are important to have together? whether your team has two or three people or like you say, 20 or 30 people. So um, I found high value in creating operating guidelines for teams. Speaking of guidelines, one distinction that came up in our conversation that I I think when we were talking about the show that I think is worth revisiting is the distinction between um, teams and teamwork. Oh, yeah. Tell me about that. What's the difference? So, um, you know, there's all, all kinds of quote unquote teams. And we talked about this again in one of our previous uh, broadcasts. Um, Some are more work groups. You know, we just add up what everybody does and that's what the team output is. And yet if people feel supported and connected, it feels very different than if they don't. So so for me, a, a true team is when the work is all integrated. So what I do impacts what you do, impacts, you know, Fred or Joe or whoever's on our team. And so none of us stand alone and independent. Um, and yet, if we're in a team where we're all alone and independent, I quote unquote team, right? Um, the value of teamwork and being there for each other and sharing best practices and high five and when any of us does well and that kind of stuff it really makes a huge, huge difference. Mm. 
Interesting you say that too, because I just had a conversation this week with a team I'm working on that's kind of in its fairly early stages. And one of the things we talked about is that uh, for a number of the things of for the roles of the people on this team, a lot of us are used to working very independently and by ourselves. And so one of the things I mentioned was we're going to have to get over that cultural dynamic of all getting kind of used to running our own show if we're really going to be a team that's going to work well together um, long term. And and we talked about that because it is easy to kind of just get in that, okay, I do this piece, I do this piece, and we don't necessarily interact a lot. Yeah. And, and, and if there's value in you being a team, then there must be something that can come out of you interacting a bit as well. So how do you, particularly when you need to overcome what people are used to do, how do you talk about how are we going to be together? Yeah. Interesting. What does that look like? So let's talk about guidelines a bit, because this is this is part of the work when an organization calls in you, Susan, to work with the team and work with leaders. This is often some of the really good work you're doing is helping the teams to structure and figure out what are the guidelines we put into place. So if I'm a if I'm a leader of a team or maybe even part of a team and I where do I start as far as putting together guidelines? What's what's what kinds of things should I be thinking of? Now, let me tell you what you shouldn't do. Okay. <laughs> Don't create That's them good. yourself and give them to the team. Does that happen a lot? Yeah, I think it happens more than we'd like it to. Say, hey, this worked for the last group I was with. Here, you guys, let's just do this and just follow this stuff and we'll be good. And that there's no buy-in there. And I find, quite honestly, even if you come to the team and say, let's create some operating guidelines together, they'll look at you and go, why do we need those? We're fine. We don't need anything. So my experience is you've got to create some need and help them see the value of creating some guidelines. And so you need some a buy-in activity. You need to do something that people say, hey, we could use some of those. Then they'll put some energy and enthusiasm into creating them together. And then, of course, we can talk about then how do you make them stick? Well, and I, I, I want to go back and highlight something you just said a minute ago. I think that's a critical point is even if you have a set of guidelines that you've used for a prior team that may be very similar, and in fact, maybe you're pretty convinced they'll work well for this team, that just giving them to the team, you're shaking your head, is is not going to do it. Not going to work. What happens when leaders try to do that? Well, those get hung up on the wall or, you know, everybody has a little stand on their desk with those on them and they never look at them again and they don't pay any attention to them because oh, they don't, they don't even, they don't have the conversation to understand even what they mean. Respect one another. Well, what, you know, we could have an hour long conversation about what that looks like. And if we did have an hour long conversation about what that looks like, when I saw those words, I'd know what it means. But when I just see it on a piece of paper that somebody put there, I don't know what that means. So you said some sort of activity or some sort of process in order to get there. What does that look like? So one of the ones I use most often, and it actually is part of our Go Team product, that's mm. one of the modules that we have available, is to have people think about meetings or interactions that they've had in with groups or teams that haven't been very good, that haven't been very productive, that haven't, you know, really, really just have been poor, and to identify what they didn't like about that. And so what they say, there there was no agenda, people talked over one another, people showed up late, um, you know, the leader wasn't facilitating, didn't keep people included, right, on and on and on. It doesn't take people very long at all to tell you what it looks like when they go to an unproductive meeting or they're involved in unproductive interactions with other people. It pops out of their mouth very, very quickly. I have found the same thing when I facilitated is some 
sometimes it's really hard to get people to think proactively of like, what would I want? But people can almost immediately, like burned into their minds, give you an entire list of all the things that drove them nuts in the last interaction or that they don't like or they don't care for. And that can be a really good starting point for the conversation because then you can then you can go into the, okay, well, let's look at what we would do more effectively right. in this situation. And so I, I once we've made that list, and I really make it visible, so on a whiteboard or a flip chart or something so we can all look at it, and I'll say, what would it be like then if you could have some guidelines that would keep any of that from happening? Mm-hmm. Would that be of value? And they start going, hmm, maybe that would be of value, right? We don't want all that stuff happening and if you can give us something that will help us not have that stuff we just put on the list, yeah, well, okay, maybe we'll pay attention to that. So it seems to work. So you start there and encourage leaders to do the same thing if they're doing it for their own team. Yes. What after that? So you get you get people bought in like, okay, you know, maybe we should have some guidelines. We we should do a little bit more thinking on this. How do you go from there to getting to the point where you've got a, a list or, or whatever. Like, what's the process generally? So so I'll start them out with, say, with, okay, let's just brainstorm a list of all the possible behaviors you could put on a list of operating guidelines. You know, everything you can think of. And I, I just write as fast as I can. And whatever they say, I put up. And we don't edit or wordsmith or anything. We just get them up on a chart. And more is better, right? Mm. Um, and I tell them, we're, you know, you really only want six or seven, maybe eight of these things, but let's get lots up here. Uh, and once they get going, they really get going. And if they get stuck, I say, go back, go look at that list we made a few minutes ago about what you don't want. Is there anything there that would cause you to create something on this list? And so, Jews, we can end up with 20, 30, even 40 sometimes potential behaviors for their operating guidelines. Then we have to do some narrowing. And so then we get a conversation, well, what seems to go together? And, you know, what ones are the same? And somebody say, well, these two are just the same. So I'll ask the two people who said those things, are these the same? And then we get into a dialogue. And quite honestly, the dialogue that happens while these are being created is almost the highest value thing that happens because now we're describing to each other what respect means, what it looks like, how I feel when I'm respected. And quite honestly, I don't let them put respect one another as one of the items on there. I want them to get to, so what do you do when you respect someone? You listen to them. Okay, that's a behavior we can get our arms around. I listen Mm. to people. Um, I let people finish before I speak. I also try and keep them from coming up with negative. Don't interrupt. Don't come to meetings late. Don't do this. Instead, say, okay, come to meetings on time. Let people finish first. So to talk about what are the positive behaviors that we're looking for instead of what are the negative behaviors we don't want. It's really hard to not do something. I I like that. I like (laughs) Easier to do something positive. Yeah. So the conversation is great. And then we start to narrow and focus and... You know, maybe we take that 30 or 40 down to 15 or 20 that are starting to get some real connection for people that they're feeling good about. I love what you said a minute ago about that the process of that is so important mm-hmm. and valuable because I think those, and I'll put myself in this category, Susan, those of us who tend to be kind of like very structured, task-oriented type pers- people, um, we sometimes think like, okay, the goal of this is to get a list at the end, right? So yeah. get a list that we can post and then we've done our quote unquote team guidelines and to get it done. And 
with when you're talking about working with human beings, <laughs> it's not like working a project management checklist. It's like the real value is the process of getting to that list because through that, as you mentioned, that's where the trust starts to get built. That's where the conversations start to happen. That's That forms the groundwork then for then the things that you'll do with that list or whatever. It's, it's almost an afterthought that it gets on the paper that that that's real really the value that's so hard to see though sometimes like you want to just yeah. have i just want to have something that is there and it's done right <laughs> yeah and 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 so the other important thing if you think about that dave it's really important that everybody's there at this meeting <laughs> mm. right because if you know julie missed the meeting she's not going to have had the conversation and know what this stuff means either i worked with a team once who um, some people couldn't be there that day. Somebody was sick and somebody else got called out in an emergency. So we did, um, got it down, narrowed down to about 20 or so. And then we adjourned and came back again for another meeting. And in the meantime, they fed to that, the people who were missing, told them what had happened and shared what we had. And then we picked up from there when everybody was back together so that oh, smart. could continue the conversation and have people be part of it. So that's that's always a concern, right? Oh well, here's what we did. You missed it, but you got to live this way. <laughs> well, and I think back to the team I was thinking about when I was in, I mean, 20 years ago in college. That was the thing you were not allowed to miss when there were meetings. I mean, you had to literally be on your deathbed to get an excused absence for any kind of meeting, um, it, because they recognized that that was so critical to have everyone there, everyone present, everyone engaged with the conversation. Yeah. And again, it seemed rather legalistic at the time but now looking back that was very intentional and produced some really amazing results now this creating operating guidelines is really foundation foundational work for a team um you know we talked in previous episode about teams that get into storming stage yep. it helps to be able to have operating guidelines in place before you get to that con time of conflict because it gives you something to go back to, to say, well, wait a minute, we all agreed we were going to listen to one another and look at what's happening in this meeting. We're not listening to each other today. Let's step back and recommit, right? So it it really, if you can create that at the early in the life of a team, then you really do have something to go back to. And if you've got a team who's much more mature and hasn't created them, it might be worth creating anyway, so that when you run into some bumps down the road, you've still got it to go back to. And am I remembering right from your experience that the creating guidelines and doing a good job with that doesn't mean that you're going to skip the storming stage. It just means that when you get there, you'll probably process it better than yes. you would have otherwise get through it faster and that you actually will more be more likely to get through it versus having the team fall apart or disband or whatever. Exactly. So it's just preventive work, right? To make that be less challenging or to give you tools when you get into storming to say, okay, Let's use these tools that we've created and so, connect back. So I think that that's a that's a really valuable piece from a leadership standpoint. Is even if I've we've done a good job as a leader of putting together a team and thought through some of these guidelines. If we get to that point, you know, a month or two later, where all of a sudden people seem to be struggling or fighting or disagreeing, that that doesn't mean that we didn't do an effective job on the front end. In fact, it may mean that we did a really good job with that, and that people are openly talking and dialoguing about that as opposed to, you know, being passive aggressive or whatever exactly. other things that come oh, up. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, we say we don't have time to create operating guidelines. We don't have time to talk about the roles in the team. We don't have time to do those things. Well, 
going to pay now or you're going to pay later. I mean, if you don't do these kinds of things for your team, where do you go when they're really struggling together and not getting along? You don't have anything to go back to. So you're going to have, you'll spend more time trying to work your way through the difficult times without having done these things. Well, and that's, that's a good segue to thinking about um, how do we keep these things visible as well? Because a lot of times this does end up in a tangible, okay, here's a list of, you know, seven or eight things. And that's, that's important to have that. Um, And, and there is the tendency in a lot of organizations and you and I have both seen this. And I know people in our community have seen that where you've got the, the things on the wall or on the desk and in some team, some teams are really effective at going at using those and the really being a living part of their operating procedure. And in a lot of teams, that's just, you know, artwork. Wallpaper. <laughs> the <conference> room. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> artwork is probably a nice word, but, uh, but s- sadly, it's not that the work that was done to do that isn't, right. isn't really utilized. How can, assuming you do a good job of, of, of really having that dialogue and doing the valuable work there, what's the, what are some of the best practices for keeping it visible and making sure it's utilized going forward? Well, a couple of things, Dave, and, and one of is, um, you know, really be sure you've got a reasonable number. If you get past really even eight, I think 10 is a way maximum. Um, remember how many things can people really remember? They can't remember more than really. There's a reason six phone, or seven. phone, phone numbers, numbers are seven, seven digits, digits, right? That's exactly right. <laughs> they always say uh, five plus or minus two is what they say, right? So, um, so, so be reasonable about your number. And then what I like to do as soon as they're, um, we've decided here's the seven or the eight, um, have everybody individually commit to them and look me in the eye and say, yes, I commit. And then I have the team rate themselves right then on how well they're doing on a scale of one to five on each of the items. Well, no team is a five right that day. Um, and so they, you know, we average it up and we've got some 3.2s and some 4.7, whatever the numbers come out to be. And so then I charge them with, okay, one month from today and your next time you're together, assess this again. And so one tool then is to assess it on a regular basis, do it monthly for a little bit, and then you can do it quarterly, but check in and see, where are we focused? Are we doing these? Is one of these causing us some issues? What do we need to do differently? And quite honestly, I like to talk about it as a living document is maybe along the way, you'll decide something that you need to add, or maybe you'll decide something just doesn't fit anymore and you might take it off the list as well. So... Um, but there's a structured process you're going through on a regular basis to bring that back up to the forefront right. and to have that, not to have the full conversation again, necessarily, but to revisit that conversation. And like you said, add to it, take things away and change, yep. but but it's present in yep. the dialogue. I mean, the first conversation is often two hours, right? Subsequent ones can be 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. Scale of one to five, how are we doing on each of these? You could even assess it ahead of the session if you at ahead of your meeting if you want to but then let's talk about it okay we've improved in this what are some examples of what we did why is this better uh what have you seen each other do that is really showing that and gee this one hasn't gotten any better or in fact has gotten worse so what's happening in our team right now that this one's rating this way Mm, interesting and so leaders you're going to be um facilitating what could be some really interesting conversations, but important ones for the team to get stuff out on the table that's bothering them. And and conflict isn't necessarily a bad thing mm. in a team. In fact, it's probably better that it happen publicly than people yeah. talking at the water cooler, you know, a day later. Yep. Yeah. So and a lot of a lot of us 
I'll, I'll throw them in this. I'll throw myself in this category too. A lot of us as leaders, we sort of fear conflict. Sometimes we see people disagreeing about something in a meeting, and we go, "Oh my gosh, like you know, this isn't good. Someone's disagreeing. Oh my goodness." And yet, that's really often the sign of a healthy team yeah. is when you see that happening. Like, okay, this is good dialogue for us to have. Let's resolve it. And there's probably a reason people are disagreeing and good for them to have the courage to be willing to do that in front of a room full of people versus whatever else people might do. Exactly. So let's just call it differences instead of conflict because conflict raises a lot of red flags for people. It's differences. Well, we need differences. How are we going to come up with new ideas unless we have a different idea from somebody else and we get a conversation about it? So embrace the differences and lead some dialogue about it so that people have a chance to talk through it. And the sooner you have those conversations, the easier it is to work through the differences and the less likely it's seen as some big deal. Mm, I love it. I And I, you said something a minute ago that I want to go back to. When you were talking about the creating guidelines, you said, have people look you in the eye and agree to them. I think there's more there. Tell me about that. Like, how does that work? And why do you have, you go around to each person and have them look you in the eye and agree to? Yeah. And, and in a way, when they're looking in my eye, that means they're looking in every, their teammates. Um, you as the facilitator. Uh, yeah, but yeah. me as the facilitator. So let's imagine, Dave, we've just come up with our eight operating guidelines. And, you know, we're going to listen to each other and we're going to support one another and we're going to, you know, whatever we've put in our guidelines. So, what I do as a facilitator is then I say, okay, these are the eight. Now, what's important is, are you all willing to live with these and abide by them? And I'll go to, and I'll say, okay, so everybody, when I come to you, I want you to just tell me yes or no. And either answer is fine. And after we hear everybody's yes or no, I'm going to come back to those who say no, and you'll get a chance to explain what your concerns are. Mm. And so as I go around and say, okay, Dave, yes or no. And when you go, um, I'll say, okay, I'll take that as a no. And I move on very, very quickly. So unless somebody just comes out immediately and says yes, then anything that looks like any kind of hesitation, I'll take as a no. And then I'd come back to you and say, okay, Dave, you, you hesitated a moment. And so I just really am interested in what, what just doesn't feel 100% right to you about this? Is there mm -hmm. one of them or is it the whole thing or what is it? And I'll tell you an example. I had a group that I did this with one time, and one of the ladies says, well, we put trust me on that list, and I just can't, I can't commit to trusting these people. Now, I've got to tell you, that surprised me, and I think it surprised everybody in the room. So I asked her to tell us more, and it turns out the last team she'd been on, she'd, it had been a very, very bad experience, and she'd been betrayed, and so she said, I've been on this team for two weeks. I don't know you guys. I, I can't commit to you today that I'm going to trust you until I feel like I'm more comfortable. Mm. It, you know, who could argue with that? And so we took it off the list uh, because think about it. You can't hold everybody else on the team accountable for that, but not her. Then it's not team operating guidelines. So, so we took it off the list, but they also agreed to revisit it two months later, and see if that's something they wanted to add to the list or not. Interesting. And so healthy, right? I mean, yeah, how yeah. would you have ever gotten that out and learned that she'd had such a bad experience and that she just was a little tentative? Well, I think it's interesting that you you tell people what you're doing. I mean, I'm going to go in the room and I'm going to ask you, so it's not a surprise. 
but you also force the issue and mm. say, okay, if you do see that hesitation, you say, okay, no, and 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 why, and and so it really um, it challenges people to talk about what's really going on and to communicate about it and dialogue about it, and so you don't end up running into that six to nine months later in some sort of way passive aggressively or someone doesn't commit yeah. in some way and you get it out now. Yeah. Then we've got, you know, everybody has said, yeah, those are our six. Then we can, then we can assess and see how are we doing against these six right now? You know, they aren't doing well because that's the ones they picked. They didn't pick things up there that are always already going well, usually <laughs> sure. in the team. Right. Sure. sure. Um, and that makes a huge difference. And then, you know what, somebody usually volunteers to put it on a little card or to put it on their website or to something. And that's great. Uh, I just encourage the leader to be sure it's on the agenda on a regular basis to just check in, see how are we doing on this? Yeah. So creating the list or whatever is great as the touchstone of, you know, here's where we are, but really what matters is the ongoing conversation about it, the check-in, the structure, the reassessment, yeah. like you said, and have yeah. that a part of the meeting. And as we both know, and everyone in this community knows, you know, whether the leader pays attention to that and gives opportunity for that really does make a difference then of how seriously people take that long-term and the investment you've made of having that conversation and whether it really results in the team growing. And, and then it gives you more of a chance that you really do become a team. Yes, exactly. I love it. Tell me about um, Go Team because um, Susan and her partner, David Hutchins, who's been on the show before too, talking about storytelling, which I was telling you earlier, one of my favorite episodes from 2014 that we did on the show. Um, they have put together this amazing facilitation manuals and resources for uh, those of you out there who are facilitators or have facilitators and trainers on your team to be able to utilize and actually walk people through this in a very, very structured way. So if you're looking for content in order to do this, um, Susan's resources are amazing. We've used them and they've been fabulous for organizations we've worked with. Can you say a little bit more about how it works, Susan, and how people could connect with it? Yeah. So, so Go Team is a series of 18 topics for teams and the topics are just two to three hours in length and there's a participant booklet for each person in the team and a facilitator guide for whoever's facilitating it. Um, and so for example, the second module is called creating team operating guidelines and essentially what I described you today is exactly what's in that book. But it gives the participants the process as well and they make their notes in it as they go and they actually do their assessment in it and so when they come back to their meetings they can bring their booklet back and they can help drive the conversation and say well remember when we talked about this and so on so 18 different topics team operating guidelines managing conflict running effective meetings i mean you know kind of what you would expect to find out about teams and so uh there's lots more information about it on goteamresources.com. And of course, you can connect with me directly. Happy to tell you how many, many organizations are using this tool to help them work with teams. This is really a great product. And I'm going to be putting it as a permanent resource up on the Coaching for Leaders resources page, which you can get to at coachingforleaders.com slash resources. And uh, like uh, Susan said, it's at goteamresources.com as well. And uh, Susan, I won't say how many years you've been a trainer facilitator, but you you have had a long career doing this. Um, you've put your best thinking into this, and uh, you know we were just talking before we started. I mean, you you are turning down engagements all the time from people because you you've really done this successfully, and 
um, I'm just really thrilled to be able to uh, to introduce this to people. And I hope people do utilize it. So if you're looking for resources that will help your team to be successful and help to develop a team, I hope you'll check it out. Susan, I really appreciate your time of coming in and uh, and giving us a framework to think about of how to create these operating procedures and whether people utilize Go, Go Team or start to do some of this on their own. I hope that everyone will take away two to three things that they can do when putting together in their next team. I hope so too. Anything to help your teams be more successful and, and move towards that best team that we talked about at the top of the show. Those teams that really meet get to high performance, that feel like, like we talked about they feel, Team Operating Guidelines will help them get there. Awesome. If this past conversation was helpful to you, I'd invite you to consider one of three invitations from me. The first invitation is, if you haven't already, to set up your free membership at coachingforleaders.com. I hope you'll join in with me and over 50,000 other listeners who've set up their free membership and are using it regularly to search for past episodes by topic. You can't do that on the podcast apps, unfortunately. You can just search by episode or chronologically. But the free membership allows you to really get in and find what's most relevant to you right now in our catalog of all the episodes aired since 2011. You can set that up right now on the homepage at coachingforleaders.com. My second invitation is a few of you have reached out and asked, when is the next Academy opening? If that's been on your radar screen, the Coaching for Leaders Academy, I'd invite you to go over to coachingforleaders.com slash academy, and you can hop on the early invitation list. We are going to be opening up applications next on August 31st, but if you hop on that list, you'll get an alert uh, even a couple of days before that when applications are available. Again, coachingforleaders.com slash academy for more details there. And then my third and final invitation is if you've already been a free member for a bit and you're looking for some more in the meantime, I think one of the best resources on the website is our topic guides. The topic guides are an overview from me on a answer to a very specific question. One of them is how to drive innovation. And I walk you through in that a video from me talking about innovation, the thinkers I think that are most important to know about around innovation, and then a recommendation of episodes to listen to, in that case, four episodes to listen to in order with key points, reflection questions, links, and also the ability to download a PDF with all of that included so you can use it for your own reference or maybe even hand it off to someone else in your organization that would be helpful for them. It's all part of one of the key benefits inside Coaching for Leaders Plus. If you haven't explored it before, just go over to coachingforleaders.plus for more details on membership. Thank you as always for listening, and I'll see you back on August 14th for the next new episode.